So Colossians 1.24 we're starting at. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how dis disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. And may God grant us understanding of his word through Tom. Thanks, Chris. Um, the notice sheets slash outlines were printed on Thursday and then since then I had sort of a change of outline structure in my own thing. I think the points are still serviceable, but if you, if, if you, if you really like to stick to them, uh, you could correct the title if you want to maybe something more like firm and fruitful. Firm and fruitful. And then I'll kind of... I'll kind of point out the, the points as I go, and they roughly line up, so it should be okay. All right, let's pray. Father, please help us to know more of you through your word this morning. Help us to be firm in the gospel of your Son, so that we may not be led astray, and so that we would lead, live fruitful lives for you. Amen. All right, kids listening up, this is your answer to the first question. Does everyone know that humongous Moreton Bay fig tree in New Farm Park? Have most people been and seen it? Uh, if you haven't, if, you, if you've never seen it, you should definitely go and check it out sometime. It's just like a gigantic play fort jungle gym 
kind of wonderful place for the kids to run around and climb, but it's just a single tree. It's a single tree with incredible roots that, that, that kind of grow down and it spreads and it's about, my mind's eye to, like, estimate is like the size of a tennis court or bigger. Uh, I don't know if that's exactly accurate, but it feels that big and it's, it's huge and awesome. Awesome for the kids. Morton Bay fig trees are trees that are particularly renowned for their root systems. They're the kind of tree that you don't want to have growing next to a road or a driveway because they will notoriously tear them up. Uh, they can, over time, those roots can work their way through rock and even concrete. And once the trees are in place, they're near impossible to uproot and get rid of. And then, when they go into fruit, at the right time of year, the ground just gets a carpet of yellow figs that get stuck all over the kids' shoes. I'd imagine get all through the car, all over the carpet at home. Um, they just get spread everywhere. Well, this passage this morning, Paul wants the Colossians to be rooted and established. I reckon that kind of massive fig tree in New Farm Park is a picture we can keep in mind as we think about that. Firmly planted and fruitful. So Paul, Paul has heard that the Colossian, the church in, in Colossae is off to a really good start, but he doesn't want them to deviate or get distracted. So as he writes this letter to them, he's encouraging them to root themselves in the gospel of Jesus that got them started, root themselves more. He wants them to keep growing in the gospel even when at times it won't be easy. <clears throat> so Paul sets out here to persuade the church of the importance of the gospel and the importance of proclaiming the gospel, all with the goal of rooting them, or them rooting themselves, more firmly in it, in the gospel of Jesus. So there's three main reasons Paul uses to insist on the importance of the Colossians being firmly rooted in the gospel. The first reason he gives them is the example of his own ministry and the joy he finds in suffering on behalf of the church of Christ. Now that is an interesting point. Let me, let me reword it. Paul argues that it's so important that the Colossians root themselves in Christ that he rejoices in the fact that he suffers and struggles on behalf of the gospel of Jesus for their sake. Look at verse 24 with me. Paul says, Now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you, and I fill up my flesh, in my flesh, what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now that's a perplexing verse for a couple of reasons. Let me go through a couple of them. The, the first reason is that pragmatically, Paul hasn't actually met the church, the Colossian church, and yet he claims to be suffering on their behalf. So what is he talking about there? I think we can find a little bit of clarity at the end of the verse, where Paul says that he suffers for the sake of Christ's body, the church. So Paul refers to the general suffering and persecution he experiences through the proclamation of the gospel, for the benefit of the whole church, uh, e even though he hasn't personally visited the Colossians, they're included in that collective body of Christ. And they can benefit and be encouraged from his work in gospel proclamation. 
And then towards the end of chapter 1, he also says that he's making special efforts uh, for, for those who haven't met him, whether that be, don't know exactly, but whether he's referring to himself writing letters or appointing other people to teach them. But he's suffering on behalf of the whole body of Christ, and we can think of it in that way. But the second problem with this statement, uh, sorry, with this verse, is this statement. Paul says, I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. What does Paul mean by that? Uh, to clarify the, the issue, we, we believe that Christ's suffering on the cross was complete, that Christ's suffering on the cross was sufficient, that there's nothing more that needs to be added to Jesus' suffering on our behalf, let alone the fact that we as humans are not able to add anything to Jesus' work. That's why Jesus had to come and die for us. We couldn't pay for our own sin. And sadly, this verse has been used to argue by some people that even after accepting Christ's death, we need to continue doing good works to earn and complete our salvation. But I want to show you that there's, there's many parts of the Bible that in, ensure the opposite, insist on the opposite. Galatians chapter 3, Hebrews 9 verse 12 are just a couple. Or even you can look at Jesus' own statement on the cross as he died, where he said, it is finished. The work is complete. There's nothing more that Paul's suffering can add to Christ's work. So what is Paul talking about here? Well, I think it's helpful to actually read this verse in just a more literal sense. Jesus suffered physically on the cross and he continues to suffer on behalf of his people, as he remains among us in spirit. But he's no longer here physically. I think Paul is just saying that he experiences the physical, personal suffering and persecution on behalf of Jesus, while Jesus is not here physically. Paul's not saying that he adds anything new to Christ's suffering or what it achieved, but only that he himself is suffering physically on Christ's behalf as he follows Christ's example in his own ministry. But the interesting thing is that to Paul, that is a privilege. Paul doesn't just say that he sees the suffering as worth it. Paul views that kind of suffering itself as a privilege. Paul's saying, I get to suffer on behalf of Christ in his physical absence, just as he suffered, and I rejoice in it. That's a pretty unusual way to think of suffering, isn't it? Paul rejoices in his suffering. So the question then becomes, how and why does he rejoice in it? Well, there's two main reasons that, that, that help Paul to continue rejoicing in his suffering, and both of them feed into the fact that his top priority is to see the church firmly rooted in the gospel. Firstly, Paul's suffering assures him that he's doing his job correctly. When Paul suffers, he's following Christ's own ministry, which means that he's not just presenting the gospel with words, but in the very way he lives out his obedience to Christ. 
As he says in verse 25, he says, I've become its servant, that's the gospel, by the commission God gave me to present to you the Word of God in its fullness. And that includes suffering and facing persecution. You know when you've done an exercise session and you are sore the next day? But that soreness can kind of, in a weird way, be an encouragement because it's a reminder that you've been taking steps to look after yourself to, do, to be healthy. It's a sign that you've been doing the right thing. So, yeah, in a strange way, you can rejoice in that discomfort, if that's the right word, knowing that it's a sign you're doing a good thing. Proclaiming the gospel will lead to persecution. But Paul knows that that is a sign that he's doing his task properly as he follows after Christ's example. So that's the first reason Paul can rejoice in his suffering. And the second reason is that Paul's sufferings serve as an encouragement to those he's ministering to. By living out the gospel so genuinely, even in the face of suffering and persecution, those who he's sharing it with can see its transforming power at work in him. Look ahead to uh, verses 29 through to chapter 2, verse 1. You know, when you look at that, you see that Paul being able to present the wonderful news of the gospel is such a priority that he views the suffering he experiences as a privilege. His suffering is a sign that he's proclaiming the gospel faithfully and it encourages those he's ministering to as they see the priority gospel proclamation takes in his life. You know, there's times in life as well when hardships can actually make the joyful moments all the better. If you think of like submitting a deadline, something for a deadline, and you've had to work really hard leading up to it, or even going on a holiday after a long period of work, those, those moments of joy wouldn't feel so good without the effort that came before. Or even think of parenting. Parenting can be hard work. There's lots of costs and sacrifices involved there. But the joy of seeing your child grow and mature makes even the hard times something that you can appreciate and rejoice in. Paul is saying that it is so important to him that the Colossians root themselves in the gospel that he rejoices in the privilege of suffering on behalf of Christ as he proclaims it to them. So the takeaway from this first point, root yourself in the gospel of Christ by seeing how much it's Paul's priority. Paul's second argument then to convince the Colossians to root themselves in the gospel is to remind them also that the gospel is a mystery, a mystery that's been revealed to all even among the Gentiles. That is to say that the, in the gospel, we have access to privileged information about God's plan for mankind. In verse 26 and 27, he describes it as this. He says, The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this ministry 
mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The gospel is a mystery that has been hidden for ages, that is now revealed and made available to both Jew and Gentile. Now, when Paul was addressing the Colossians, that was a huge deal. It was a huge deal. Unlike what Jewish Christians were used to, Paul's now saying that the gospel is not exclusive to any particular group of people, but it's actually disclosed to all who will receive it. That is, it's disclosed to all the Lord's people. And thankfully, that includes us here today. The gospel's for all peoples. Now, when, when Paul calls the gospel a mystery, he doesn't mean it in the way we might often use it uh, just to refer to something that's perplexing. He doesn't mean that it's mysterious, so to speak. What he means is that God's plan for humanity has been knowledge hidden from anyone except God himself to this point. If I borrow an illustration from Jesus, think of something that's hidden under a bowl. Nobody knows what, it's, what it is. It's a mystery. But then that bowl gets lifted up and what's under it is revealed. And you see it's a lamp and the lamp lights up the whole room and it lets you see everything. That's the kind of idea Paul means when he says, a mystery revealed. The gospel is this lamp that for generations has been hidden under a bowl. And yet Paul says that through Christ, this amazing, concealed plan of God, which has been God's plan from the very beginning, only hidden, has now been revealed to all of us. And anyone who wishes to receive it can receive that knowledge. In the gospel, we have an amazing insight into God's own knowledge and his plan for his creation. That's all been revealed through the gospel of Christ. And what is that mystery that's now revealed? It's that God wanted all peoples to be reconciled to himself by being found in Christ. Now, that is, that is a huge revelation because one of the biggest questions that humans have asked themselves time and time again throughout history is what is the meaning of life? You know, you've heard that thrown around. Well, the answer is not 42. The whole time, it's always been almost a complete mystery, whether there's purpose, whether there is meaning, whether it's all just random chance. But Paul's saying, no, this age-old question is answered to us in Jesus Christ. There is purpose, there is a plan. The mystery of human existence and meaning is revealed in the gospel. And that is, God from the very beginning has intended that all peoples be reconciled to himself and to receive blessings and goodness by having access to him through the death of his son. a mystery that's now been revealed and made available to Jew and Gentile so that all the Lord's people might be united to Christ and receive his blessings. How amazing is it that we have access 
to that revelation of God's own plans and purposes. Paul emphasizes again in chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, that his desire is for the people to understand this mystery and that that is his top priority. He says, My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Just like when you lift the cover, the bowl off of a lamp that's been hidden, that lamp will then light up the room, let you see everything else. So too, knowing this mystery of God's plan by understanding the gospel of Christ changes the way you see everything else. Paul says this revelation, it's a total privilege to have access to. It's a mystery that's been hidden for ages. A mystery that grants all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It changes the way we see everything. So root yourselves in that. Root yourselves in the gospel of Christ by seeing how much it's Paul's priority and seeing how much it is a privileged revelation of a mystery revealed to Jew and Gentile. Now, Paul's final reason that he wants the Colossians to root themselves in the gospel of Jesus is a practical one. It's that it will help them remain firm and it will help them produce fruit in their lives. In this final point, Paul shows why he sees the ongoing proclamation as so important in the lives of the church. Even though they were off to a good start, the message of the gospel of Christ, it's not just information. Paul doesn't just want the church to hear the gospel, agree and then move on with their lives. It's not just a box that you can tick off. It's not like a subject at university where you pass, get your grade, get your credits and move on to the next thing. Paul recognizes that this message, it's different. It produces ongoing growth. It has ongoing consequences in your whole life. And so Paul longs to see the Colossians rooted in the truth of Jesus, knowing it will be amazing fruit in their lives. And he wants to see them take hold of it and shape everything around the reality that they are now in Christ. Look at verses 28 and 29. He, that's Christ, is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. In these verses, Paul points to his own life and ministry as an example of this fruit, of Christ being at work in himself. He knows that through proclaiming Christ, the church will receive the same work in their lives. And so that's his goal, to see everyone fully matured through their faith in Christ. I read 2 verse 2, he says, My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding. Paul wants to see the church fully matured and united 
through their understanding of the gospel. If we think back to the opening illustration of the new farm park fig tree, that tree has a huge root system, and that kind of root system does two things for the tree. Firstly, it ensures that that tree is immovable. It is firmly in that position for life. You know, that tree is not going anywhere anytime soon. And secondly, it produces a lifelong abundance of fruit. We see Paul describing his desire to see both of those outcomes in the church in verse, chapter 2, verse 7. He wants to see strength and firmness of faith, knowing they won't be uprooted, and abundance of thanksgiving. So look at chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Uh, the, the, the first outcome we can unpack a little bit more in, in verses 4 and 5. It says, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I'm absent with you in body, I'm present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Paul wants to see roots so strong in Christ that he can be confident that the Colossian church won't be led astray. There's a warning built into those verses you see, not all deceptive arguments or worldly arguments are obvious. Most good arguments contain a lot of elements of truth. They can seem very plausible. And that's what makes them so dangerous. Even though the Colossians have been off to a great start, Paul warns them that if they don't deepen their roots, they might still be led off course by worldly thinking by arguments that seem good but actually distract them from their true identity. Because worldly thinking can sound convincing. And that is the same for us today. But, Paul says, knowing the truth of God's word helps to keep our focus in the right place. So root yourself in that truth. Paul insists. And the second outcome that Paul wants to see is that those roots transform the hearts of the Colossians to abound in thanksgiving. If we just think over the, the passage we've read this morning, think about how Paul has described his own view of ministry so far. He's recognised the, way, the ways Christ is powerfully at work within himself and he's expressed that he's therefore able to remain joyful and thankful for the privilege to proclaim the gospel, even rejoicing in his sufferings for the sake of the church. Isn't that an amazing level of gratitude? That Paul can see the goodness of the gospel message even when it comes at great cost to himself? Well, we've already touched on how Paul sees that as a privilege, but his point here is that that attitude's not special in him. It's simply that the gospel has taken root deep in his heart and he's matured. So it produces this kind of fruit of thankfulness. Paul is telling the Colossians he wants them 
to root themselves in Christ as well, because then they will see the same fruit. I think sometimes we can understand the gospel, but still be living as immature saplings who haven't let the roots penetrate deep into our lives. We can be swayed by different ideas in the world, and we might be slow to bear fruit of thankfulness, especially when things don't go our way. How do we deepen our roots and produce that great fruit? Well, Paul tells us it's by knowing the Word of God in its fullness. It's knowing that we have the revelation of a wondrous mystery that was hidden for ages, the mystery of Christ dying for us to unite us to himself, to reconcile us to God, and proclaiming that message again and again is Paul's priority to the Colossians, to help them be rooted and built up. So we also should proclaim that message to ourselves day after day and to each other week after week. Because if as Christians our roots come from knowing Christ through the gospel, then just as that tree in New Farm Park didn't get that big and have all those roots overnight, Paul wants to continue proclaiming the gospel to the church so that they continue to grow their roots over time and become firm in their faith and transform their hearts to bear more and more fruit of thankfulness. The beautiful thing about this is the way it actually can create a positive feedback loop. You can see that as you grow those roots more deeply, through reminding yourself of the gospel, it produces more fruit of gratitude and joy, proclaiming it to others. And just picture a whole community transformed like that. Proclaiming the gospel to one another each week. Like that huge fig tree, we want to be a community that have roots so strong and deep that they tear up the roads and driveways of the worldly messages that surround us. That bear so much fruit that the seeds are constantly getting stuck to people's shoes and spreading everywhere. So Paul insists that we root ourselves in Christ by seeing how much it was his priority, by recognising that it's this amazing revelation of a long-hidden mystery and to make sure that we're firm in the faith and abundantly fruitful. So may we all join Paul together then in suffering on behalf of Christ to see one another firmly rooted in the gospel of Jesus so that all of us might remain firmly planted and fruitful in him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the amazing revelation of the gospel of Jesus. Thank you that through Christ your plans and purposes are revealed to us. We ask that you would help us to see the transforming power of Christ in Paul and then plant ourselves in your truth as he did. Help us to continue to proclaim the gospel to one another so that we would all mature and grow deep roots 
and help us remain firm in the faith and bear fruit of thankfulness. Amen.